For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm celebrating Lisa Rodrigo because she has introduced me to our very special guest today. And I am so excited to welcome Lolita Molina to our show today. Lolita, I have been reading about you and your story is so inspiring to me. And uh, I can't wait to see the movie of your life story, uh, which should happen any moment. Uh, congratulations on just achievement. Uh, that's the operative word for today. And I want to ask before we start to tell your story, who or what are you celebrating today? Oof. Um, I try to take every day and celebrate my loved ones. Um, so I see them as a collective, honestly, and I just kind of change them out uh, throughout whichever day it is. Uh, so I would say family and those I consider family. Well, I want to go back uh, and I want to talk about your drive and where that drive comes from. Because I mean, you um, just you just keep going. Uh, it seems to me from where I stand that uh, nothing seems to get in your way. Nothing seems to stop you. And I'm sure like all of us, you have your good days and you have your bad days, but where do you find your faith and what keeps you going and what gets you through all of that? Is it bad to say that I'm just stubborn? <laughs> That's my operative word. I love that. No, honestly, I'm just a stubborn person. Um, I grew up with the majority of my family being sisters. Um, so we would always just say to one another, if someone tells us that we cannot do this or we may not aspire to be that exact thing, we take that as pretty much the challenge of that week. <laughs> well, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you, uh, I mean, and it's all in your biography, uh, there have been so many obstacles in your life and you have chosen a profession or sometimes I like to say the profession has chosen you um, in which the word no is bandied around a lot more than the word yes. Um, what gets you past those no's and what keeps you going beyond uh, just being stubborn? I would say joining this industry has really taught me patience um, to where it gets not irritating, but it to be a little bit annoying for me mm -hmm. to constantly hear um, for every nine, like every one yes is like 99 no's, but I've grown to be used to it. I did have days where I would just sit down and go, dang, I don't think I am this good. I don't think I am cut out for it. Um, but then I get a really cool audition like the very next day and I go, well, maybe I can nail this one. So I think it's me just looking forward to the next read is what kind of keeps me going because I'm lucky, but also unlucky because while I don't get auditions every week like my peers do, uh, given I am paralyzed, those roles don't come as often. When they do, they're usually really big and really intriguing opportunities. So that also keeps me going because I'm so excited to see what writers are coming up with and if I can try and bring that character to life, even if it's just for an audition. 
So last night I had David Zimmerman on the show. Are you familiar with David Zimmerman? The name sounds familiar, but I suck with names. That's fine. That's fine. I'm going to introduce the two of you because he has um, uh, an organization called Meet the Biz. And he uh, works a lot with actors and actresses with disabilities. Um, I don't like to use the word disabilities because um, I believe the biggest challenge in life are not the challenges that we as individuals deal with, but the challenges that other people impose on us. Uh, Would you agree with that or not? I wouldn't because I grew up with my siblings. They all have one form of a disability or a disadvantage one way or another. So we never saw disability as a bad word, um, but we also never really defined ourselves by it. Mm -hmm. It's like a quick But but do you feel that society uh, defines that on you or... Uh, I mean, that's what that's basically what I'm trying to say, that it seems that society wants to put those limitations on you rather than you putting them on yourself. That's the you know message that I was saying with that. Um, I don't I think some people try to push it negatively and then they're shocked when the people who actually live the life don't see it as a negative. And they I think it proves more their character and how they don't interact with people with disabilities nearly enough to realize that we don't see it that way, but mm-hmm. they keep wanting to push it because some people don't want to be wrong. Some people really think that they're right. Some people think um, that it just has to be that way because that's what media pushes, uh, influential people push the idea that um, society pushes these struggles. And so able-bodied people see it the same way. And we tell them we don't. Well, I want to ask you, uh, for those who have not uh, read uh, my notes and seen my newsletter and uh, seen uh, what I've posted on my YouTube channel, uh, in your own words, can you give a Reader's Digest version um, of your story uh, coming to this country and the story leading up to where you are right now? Just a Reader's Digest version and then we'll go beyond that. Um, Yes, the quickest summary is when I tell people my story, they don't believe it's true. <laughs> but a digest of that would be I was born in Siberia um, to an unfortunate home and I was put up for um, adoption pretty much immediately. I came to this country in 2002 when I was a toddler. Um, the f- technical foster family um, through acts of child abuse left me paralyzed permanently from my waist down. And I was readopted by my current family. Uh, and now I pursue all the creative arts because my father had really seen that uh, I was attracted to that the most. And so did my mother. So the arts is where I found, I think, my most true form or final form, if you will. So that's where I uh, currently reside is aspiring and continuing to roll through the punches. <laughs> I'm going to take the word aspiring out because you're achieving. <laughs> no, you're there. But you, I mean, there are, um, there are several hats that you wear. You are a writer. Uh, you are an actress. Uh, you also started out, uh, you know, with musical theater as well, yeah. but uh, music. Um, which of those hats do you feel that you wear the most comfortably? Uh, the acting one, <laughs> but the cinema one. Um, the theater was... I love theater. It's where I got my start. It's where I found out that I really, really love 
becoming other characters. While I love theater, it's not as far as a passion. It was just the only thing I had in my small town where I lived. It's all we had. We didn't have short films being made. We didn't have student films being made. We didn't have small indie films. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Cornfield City. So uh, I grew up in South Carolina, so I know all about small town USA. And so theater, while I loved it and did so many productions, I think nearly 20, um, I fell in love with cinema far, far quicker. And I'm more in love with it than theater. So when you first came to this country, where did you uh, first come to? Um, Ohio. Okay. Um, just have you always lived in Ohio? I'm sorry? Have you always lived in Ohio? Okay. So you're... I mean, your. How did you find your way uh, into acting in Ohio? Were there a lot of opportunities for you? No, there were not. <laughs> there was one opportunity, and it was this one community theater program. My father had found it, um, but before that, it was the Nutcracker Ballet. They had given me a really intriguing opportunity when I was a child to be Clara's little sister for five years every holiday season. But then after that, I started aging out of being the little sister and I was becoming more the older sister. So they, um, I, I reti retired from that and my father had found this local community theater and I got hooked on that. And that's where I fell in love with vocal acting and not just dance. Now, are you near Cleveland or Cincinnati? Because both of those are thriving. Both of them have uh, real strong uh, theatrical communities. I'm right outside of Cleveland. I don't frequent Cleveland often because it scares me. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but I have gone up there um, during my high school days because I took film study courses and I got to meet a bunch of really in, like wonderful people in the uh, film commission, um, which is where I got my little head start in behind the scenes, like editing uh, that I fell in love with as well. So. As the acting was happening, you also hear about this. Was it a contest that you uh, that pulled you into writing your first novel? It was a high school thing. And my instructor had said, you have two options for your final course. Um, you can either do this. I don't know if it was a poetry project. It was something I was not interested in. Um, or you could partake in what's called NaNoWriMo. It's a little writing contest that the whole country actually can participate in. You can participate at any uh, November where you try to finish a 50,000 word book um, in the 30 days of November. And I said, I don't like poetry, so I'm going to just attempt this and see if I can do it. Um, you didn't have to complete the 50,000. It was just pick one of the projects. And you went way beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> How many words was it that you went beyond? Approximately 64,000, give or take. And tell us a little bit about what your subject was and how you came upon that subject. My subject matter, so I'm someone who creates the stories in my head and I would wheel throughout my childhood home back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, playing like little TV episodes in my head. And my father would joke and say I was going to wind up in the basement because I was going to wear out the floor <laughs> considering how, how much I was moving. And so I had this plot brewing since I was in probably first or second grade, but I never put it to words. So when I had to come up with a plot, I said, well, I've been working on this plot for years now, uh, over 10, 10 
12 years. So let me just put this down into a story and 2459 was born. Now, now that got published, am I correct? Yes, on uh, Amazon. And so what was the feeling like for you? I mean, that's a major accomplishment to get to Amazon, that something that started out as just a high school project, uh, that you was, do you consider that your first major accomplishment? I know that you were doing a lot of acting prior to that, but did you consider that like a first major accomplishment and that because of something like this, that you feel that you could just do anything that you really set your mind to? It, it, the first thing I thought was, oh no, I just published this and there's so many typos. There's so many like little typo things. Oh no. And there's like words missing. So it was like, yeah, yeah, I got it published to Amazon and Kindle, but people are going to hate it because there's so many like little mistakes that my computer didn't pick up on. Um, so my perfectionism kind of dampened the mood. Um, but it was really cool after the fact. And when people realized I was, I think, 17 when I published it, they'd be like, well, cut her some slack for this book and this book alone. Well, this was your first time out of the gate. Am I correct? Yes. So, I mean, we'll cut you some slack for that. But what was your process? I mean, did you share any of this with anyone as you were writing it? Or did you have trepidation about sharing it with anyone uh, until it was completed? What was your process? So the first, so when I'm writing my stories, um, 2459 was kind of an outlier in what I usually write because 2459 was not based on my dreams, which is what I usually gravitate towards writing about. Mm -hmm. So with 2459, I was more nervous showing it to friends and family, like chapter by chapter, because my brain had already made up dream plot lines. Whereas with this one, it's I have to remember what young me throughout the years wanted the story to be. And can I remember to do that <laughs> and make young me happy? Now, do you continue to write? I do. I'm just currently uh, at a writer's block. <laughs> oh, now, do you do you keep journals? Do you write? Yes, I do. About, okay. And so, as you were writing, um, the acting opportunities that started doing because you did a lot of theater early on as well, and the film work did that come out of the possibility of the work that you were doing in your school? No. Um, so I started on, before TikTok was TikTok, it was Musical.ly in 2017, 2018, I believe. Um, it was right after I had published my novel. I was trying to figure out what did I want to do next? Uh, did I want to audition for the next play? Did I just want to focus on, you know, getting ready for college? And my younger sister was addicted to the app Musical.ly at the time. And she made a little bet with me that I'd never be able to keep my account up for longer than a week before forgetting about it because I wasn't really into social media as much then. So I started it and during that week it transformed into TikTok. Uh, the app was purchased by TikTok. And I became addicted to TikTok more than I did to its uh, pre uh, previous um, existence. And I started just gaining a mass of followers to where I had 20 when I went to bed, woke up with 10,000. And I was shocked. Well, I want to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, you really went in dragging your feet into this oh, world yeah. of TikTok. Um, and once that started to change, uh, 
what do you think was the shift for you? I saw the comments really, because in school I was I'm very introverted. I'm still introverted today. I had maybe two, three really close friends. No one really talked to me or anything like that. And I was okay with it. But seeing all the comments of people really liking just the little skits and comedic things I was doing. And I think I was one of the first bigger accounts back when TikTok was still fresh of someone with a disability openly making fun of it in what they would see as a creative way with my humor. And I think that's what really sent my status on the app. I really love your dance videos, by the way. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I want to know um, with what your thoughts are on all of the controversy that is circling around TikTok now and the possibility that TikTok may be banned. Uh, because uh, I know that for a while, everybody was on MySpace. Yep. Uh, that may be before your time. Oh, uh, no. Put me from the computer so they could answer their friends on the uh, private message on MySpace. I remember it. Okay. So everybody was on MySpace. And when, you know, and I'm uh, a lot older than you are, uh, but I remember that when everybody's getting on computers, uh, it used to be uh, America Online. And I know that some of uh, the viewers, because we're all, a lot of my viewers that I'm seeing here are pretty much in the same age uh, range as I am. Uh, most of you are. Um, and we were all on America Online and there were the chat boards. Mm -hmm. And then when that started to phase away, um, there were a lot of community boards that all faded away into Facebook. And then, you know, Twitter's going through a major growing uh, change now. Do you think that, uh, that TikTok will stick around? Or do you think it will go through a transformation like MySpace did? As, How do you see the future of TikTok happening? As someone who loved studying history and governmental history with my dad, um, I don't have an answer with TikTok, especially since I read, you know, I try to read as many bills that are being presented in this country because I'm very intrigued as to what's going on in this country, obviously, as a voter. So reading these acts and knowing how lobbying works, knowing how business works um, in that particular field of politics, I currently don't have an answer because right now everything seems to be too quiet since the recess has ended at Capitol Hill and everyone's back. So I don't know right now. And I don't know if this is just going to be a Patriot Act 2.0 or if this is just going to fizzle out with, um, you know, House and Senate looking at the bills being placed going, this is too broad or this is too vague. This is too cut in stone. We don't know exactly what's going on with what um, your people want or don't want. So I would just have to wait and see and read more and hear more of what goes on in the chambers, honestly. Well, you sound like the right person to handle something like this. I was watching Katie Porter the other night, who I love. I, I would love to have her on this uh, show. But Katie Porter said that you, when you've got people uh, in Congress uh, referring to it as Tic Tac, um, <laughs> yeah. they, they don't even know what it is. Uh, you know, perhaps they're not the ones to be discussing this. Well, it's, um, but well, it's, go ahead. Uh, 
sorry, let's just before I lose it with my ADHD brain, it's because when politicians say words like that, it's because it's most likely their interns wrote the bills or wrote um, their little notes for their meetings, especially with um, the CEO of uh, the American branch of TikTok. The majority of those people were reading what their interns wrote based on the summary they did of the acts that are in place for apps such as TikTok. So when I look at the politicians speaking on it, I'm thinking, what is their cabinet and their team thinking and working towards, whereas they're just the face of it. That's how I see it. Well, that brings me to one of the other hats that you wear, and that is activist. Um, in what areas are you an activist and how did you become an activist? I became an activist by accident. <laughs> um, I am a main um, activist and advocate for foster children and especially foster children that have escaped or survived um, abuse situations because that's all those are all the stories that I saw growing up with family members of mine. So that's the main thing I uh, advocate for. I would also say I advocate for the LGBT community considering I am a member. So, oh, so I feel like it's kind of like a, a given that I would. Um, so Lolita, are your uh, siblings also foster uh, or adopted children? Yes, so I have nine other siblings. Wow. Uh, so I have eight sisters and a brother. My- All adopted? No. Uh, three of them are my adopted parents' biological children, and then the rest of us were adopted. So. Well, I want to shout out to your mom and dad. God bless them. God bless your parents. Because, you know, I had uh, someone on the show uh, several months ago, and she is very much entrenched in the foster system. And I learned a lot that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, and one of the things that she said was that, one of the words that we don't really use anymore is the word orphan. And she said that she still uses that word because a lot of these children do not have parents. Mm -hmm. And you also brought up the LGBTQ uh, situation. Um, and a lot of LGBTQ parents um, are, there are roadblocks put up to the, with them uh, in terms of being able to adopt. Mm -hmm. um, and do those two areas crisscross in terms of your activism? Uh, well, I personally would never be a mother. I don't see myself ever doing that. I mean, in terms but of you speaking out on that issue. I strongly disagree with government and state governments trying to put these obstacles in front of potential foster parents giving a child a safe home based solely on the fact that they are not the um, 1950s ideal. <laughs> because uh, the first family I was with would have been seen as the the ideal straight white uh, basic Christian family and look what happened. Um, and I think many people with a heart could say that a child in that situation, I don't think people would have cared if they much rather would have been with two fathers or two mothers or a trans couple rather than like, to get them out of the uh, first home. And it's very unfortunate that this country's majority of government doesn't see it that way. And I think that that needs to change.
I'm going to ask, and you know, and if and if I ask anything that you prefer that I don't uh, ask, just tell me. But with the first family that fostered you, did they have other children themselves? They adopted a boy with me, actually. Um, they brought both of us over from Siberia, but he and I are not related in any way, shape, or form. It was just the two of us. And did he suffer through the same abuse that you did? Uh, not the same. It was still abuse. I don't know the full extent because any records that my uh, adopted father managed to get from the courts, he could only get from me. So I only know what correlated with my story. So I'm not entirely sure. And are you able to share the circumstances that got you out of that home? It was, uh, I'm trying to think, cause like I haven't read them in such a long time. So after, after it, I think he's the one that actually called his wife at the time that he had done it, that he had broken my spine. But the story kept changing what he said happened. It went from I was picking her up out of like the crib and then she was wiggling a lot and she fell. Um, she landed sitting straight up, which made no sense when Pete, when doctors looked at, you know, the body of me. Um, then it changed to, well, she may have hit her back on the crib railing on the way down, but landed sitting straight up. Um, I decided to just pick her up and try and feed her oatmeal for an hour and 15 minutes uh, before calling his wife to call 911. And I know the doctor said, had he called 911 immediately, I'd be walking today. Um, but he kept moving me and making the the damage worse. Mm. And how old were you at the time? I was around two-ish years old. And were you taken out of the home as soon as they discovered what the issue I, was? I did not go home uh, from that hospital with them. <laughs> oh, thank God for that. Thank God. And how long after that was it before you were placed in your current home? From what my mother and father had told me, it was pretty much immediately because she had heard it on the radio. I think it was the next morning. It was like breaking news on the radio when she was driving my other soon-to-be sisters to school. And she stopped, uh, went into, I think it was a neighbor's house to grab a landline to call uh, her husband and said, we got to go down to the local hospital because you'll never guess like this horrible story and because they were um, emergency, emergency placement, special needs foster parents at the time. So they said, I don't care if I didn't get a call from um, the worker yet. We need to go down and see this child. And it was pretty much immediately that I was placed. Wow. And do you have any idea? I, I know that you were very, very young, of course. But based on what you've heard over the years or uh, uh, court reports or records, um, on how this story ended up in the media and your parents were able to hear about this? There was a local radio host. Um, I believe he was either a foster parent himself or had adopted children in his family. Um, and he heard just the story from local news during the arrest and he wanted to cover it because it was like unheard of in our town. So that's how my mother had heard it because she always listened to this one radio host. Even throughout my childhood, we listened to him. I mean, we just had a, a story here in New York uh, of an autistic child and the parents, uh, the uh, stepfather and the mother did not want this child because he was autistic. 
And rather than putting this child up for adoption, uh, they the child was really treated like an abandoned animal and was raised in um, a uh, in a, in a garage. Mm-hmm. And he died because of the cold. And uh, now the parents, thank God, are going to spend the rest of their lives in prison, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but for every one of these stories, like the one that you just described, there are many stories that don't get reported mm-hmm. and we don't hear about. Um, your parents, I mean, it sounds like the, the angels that walk on this planet. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, when did you first hear... I mean, the music, when did you realize that you had a voice uh, as a singer, uh, that there was something there? Oh, I'm no singer. (laughs) But you were in musical theater. Yes, ensemble, mainly. Um, My father- Lily, you can sing. I know you can. (laughs) I believe you can do anything. My father wanted me to either learn violin or piano. I got to pick when I was about six years old, uh, going on seven. So I chose piano because I knew how difficult violin could be. And that's where I first learned what notes were, pitch, key, your tempo, uh, the beats. And then that's how I was able to even get into musical theater was because I know how to hold a note, I know how to keep a note, I know how to hit a note, um, but I do not see my voice as anything spectacular by any means. (laughs) I am no um, like Aretha Franklin, I'm no. (laughs) No, uh, and uh, I want to go uh, back uh, to, we started to talk about this and then we went another direction. I took you in another direction. But uh, when you were uh, taking your film courses mm-hmm. and stepping outside of your circle of where you were and starting to get film work, how did that begin to happen for you? So film work came to me by, again, I almost it almost didn't because... I was on TikTok and I was starting to gain a pretty big following out of high school. So I got a message from someone asking if I wanted to audition for this project that sounded pretty big with legendary pictures. And I thought it was a scam because my parents raised me to be very skeptical because we had gotten caught in a scam back in 2010 with the acting world. So I was very, very hesitant. I didn't answer because I'm like, eh, this sounds a little sketchy to me. Weeks, not weeks, days went by before a TikTok creator with over a million followers messaged me. And she told me, hey, if you've heard about this like legendary pictures thing, he's legit. He's my agent. And they're looking for a paraplegic lead. (laughs) So she was like his credibility. And now he's my uh, manager slash (laughs) agent. So that's how I got started was Right before um, COVID-19, I got to audition for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that aired on Netflix in 2022. That was my first ever audition. Wow. And you got and you nailed it. I got very far. And the main reason there isn't a paraplegic in that film was because they had a change of directors. So the characters all changed drastically. So it did not end up falling through. But I made it pretty far. Was it an easy transition for you to go from doing theater work to doing film work? Oh, yes. And I much preferred it um, because I was in just small indie films around here when I was in grade school. And I just loved it far more than theater while I still had a big love for the theater. Now, what is it about film work that you prefer over theater? 
I like that the most micro of expressions can be picked up on a camera and I don't have to emote and enunciate so that the back rows can see. I, I mainly act with my eyes. So I like the idea that a camera can pick up the tiniest change in an emotional beat rather than on stage. And do you have a lot of opportunities where you are or do you travel a lot for the film work that comes your way? I have to pretty much offer to pay for my own travel for some of these potential projects. Um, it's also difficult because I have an aide who does help me with different medical needs and it has hindered me getting jobs because they don't take into account her pay or her time. So when I got the job of one up, I almost didn't get the job until I offered that I would pay my aid out of pocket because they had no idea that I had an aid. But now I've learned my lesson. I've worked and pulled some strings to just travel on my own and just no longer say that I have one. So that's also another issue. It's a lot of behind the scenes issues, not so much to do with talent, but it has more so to do with budget. Well, I, you know, I see a whole new area that's going to open up. Uh, I was watching TCM last night and uh, Ruby D, a uh, very famous uh, African-American actress, uh, also an activist. Uh, when she started working in film, uh, and this may seem on some level to some people as a minor issue, but it was a major issue when she was working on films. Um, hairdressers did not know what to do with her hair mm. as an African-American woman. And she was able to make changes within the film industry so that uh, there were women on set uh, when African-American women were hired mm -hmm. who knew what to do with their hair. And oh. that's a very important thing. I think that that's something that, it's something that I would never have thought about until you just brought it up. I think that's oh. a major change that should take place in the industry. It also just leaves me so curious because I am just now finding other disabled actors, especially wheelchair user actors, because I want to see who else is out there because there are so few that have a name attached to them right now because we're just now up and coming getting jobs and roles that are significant enough to have a name attached. And it just makes me, if it's bad to say, morbidly curious, how do they get around it when they get a job? I'm just so curious. I want to interview them and say, how do you do it? How did you... Uh or do you have those uh, obstacles to face or not? Well, last night, you know, Allie Stoker, who won the Tony Award for Oklahoma, you know, she was brought up, thanks to Natasha Lombardi, who's with us again this afternoon. Uh, thanks for reminding us of her name, uh, Natasha. Um, she might be someone that you may want to interview uh, on this issue, because again, uh, you know, I, you know, a very dear friend of mine uh, who passed away recently, uh, was born blind, um, and uh, and being a very dear friend of hers, there were a lot of things, again, that I was not even aware of. You know, I campaigned for years uh, to try to get restaurants to have Braille menus, uh, and this is something uh, most restaurants don't have Braille menus. Again, these are the things that most of us take for granted when we go out uh, that perhaps we need to start thinking about. Sorry, there were sirens going. I didn't want to have it no. overshadow. Um, 
when it comes to disability activism, I'm more of like a realist when it comes to it. And I, I don't know if that's the right phrasing because I see it as hire the best person for the job, of course. I actually had a debate with someone about this to where they said, well, it's all fantasy in the film world. It's not like a regular job to where they don't have a disabled actor to play a disabled role if they don't want to. And I said, we got to not look at the film industry as just a fantasy world, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones type of beat. But you have to look at it as, would you hire a plumber to be an electrician? <laughs> um, would you hire a professor to be um, like a construction worker? It's it all depends on hire the best person suited for the job, hire the person who has the most experience in the field, hire the person that has the most insight on the work and field. And I don't understand why people cannot correlate that when it comes to the film world or the acting world to where it's just as important to have someone that can portray that character the most realistic possible way. Now, I want to talk about some of the other areas, uh, and I totally agree with you on that. Um, I, I want, but I want to talk about, you know, you are very much involved with TikTok. Um, are, do you uh, post daily with TikTok? Is this something that's part of your daily routine? Uh, because, I mean, uh, and are the followers still growing in leaps and bounds? Uh, yes, I currently sit at around 732,000 followers. I try to post daily, and if I can't, I will try to film as many in advance so for my off days I can just upload and then go. So I still try to keep up with it as much as I can, especially with trends constantly changing and changing in a way that I don't know if I can fit it just yet. Uh, should I stick to the old? Should I change to the new? So yes, I still try to keep up with that world. And, you know, is your format different for the uh, the other platforms that you're on, such as Instagram, Facebook, anything? Is it uh, is the world of TikTok, uh, because I'm not a, a part of TikTok, is it a very different animal in terms of uh, the process of what you do on those platforms? I keep my Instagram uh, more PG than I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> Instagram. TikTok to me, though, is a fair game. Uh, is there a reason for that? My mother doesn't have TikTok. Oh. <laughs> My mother will have, well, she'll be on Instagram, and for some reason, one of my videos will be reposted as a reel, and I'll just get a message from her via text. I did not just see you swear. I did not just see <laughs> you say a curse word. I'm like, well, I'm an adult. Um, how did they get my video? How did they download it? <laughs> but just tell her it's all acting. It's all part of the process. <laughs> but I, she's, I think she's grown a little bit more comfortable with it and she understands. <laughs> but you've also, I mean, you've gone into the world of cosmetics. You've gone into other areas with all of this. How is all of that coming together for you? I love doing makeup, but I don't call myself a makeup artist. I call myself is like a makeup enthusiast because I'm too scared to label myself as an artist because then people want to come to me and I do do their makeup and I'm so scared that I will F it up and I'm, it, it scares me to death. Um, but I love mixing makeup with cosplay styles. That's also another trend that helped boost 
my popularity on the app and I really want to get back into that someday. If I can just get out of that mental rut of what's the next thing I should cosplay as it's been a minute. I, I mean, a lot of people want to get on TikTok. A lot of mm -hmm. people want to become an influencer or anything. Is there any advice that you give or do you feel that it's just a, a matter of just hitting the brass ring at the right time? I don't even see myself as an influencer, honestly. I just see myself as a pure content creator um, because I'm someone who will not influence a product if I genuinely don't like it. I know that's a go-to phrase influencers use, but I have turned down many offers or I've filmed content. Turned out my first impression was the only good part. And then the more I used a product, I didn't like it. Um, so I would email them and say, hey, I did film the content, but I'm not going to be able to post it because after my first impressions with it, I didn't, I was not still in love. So I would say it's all about where do your social morals lie if you want to be an influencer? Mm -hmm. um, what are you going into that job for? I w went into it not expecting to be in it. <laughs> um, so when I got offers for promotional content, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. Uh, so it's all about where do you lie on social morality when it comes to the internet and what you're willing to tell people is good versus not. That's how I see you, you consider yourself very ambitious in terms of the way that you pursue your career, or do you feel that uh, your career is unfolding based on the people that you're meeting and the circumstances that are happening uh, as your career is unfolding? I'm too ambitious to the point where I will... I know my agent is very, very annoyed with me and he has a heart of gold putting up with me because I will call him like every other week saying, so do we have any updates yet, uh, please? Because I'm so ambitious that I don't like waiting. I'm very go, go, go. I don't like to wait. And this is a really good life lesson of the actual theme, the best comes to those who wait. And I grow up with that mentality of, I don't like that theme. I don't like that moral. Why can't I have it with my ambition trying to speed past the line instead of waiting in it? So it's it's a big life lesson for me to wait. Are you able to enjoy the process? Or, you know, we're, we're all, I mean, I'm also very ambitious and I'm always thinking about the prize. And especially as I'm getting older, I'm trying to enjoy the journey a lot more uh, because none of us have any control over what the future holds. Uh, my dear friend, Tess LaBella is here. Love you, Tess. And we talk about this a lot. Um, but do you, um, are you able to just able to sit back, take a deep breath and enjoy the journey? Uh, or are you driving everyone a little crazy, you know, thinking about what tomorrow holds? I have, I, I don't know how to label it. It's I don't know if it's my ADHD. I don't know if it's my, <laughs> but I'm constantly thinking of what's the next route I can take? What's the next avenue I can go towards? Um, getting into script writing, even though it's not my forte. Who can I try to work business with? Um, how can I get phone numbers to call? Um, how can I get more involved in my local community with foster care systems? Um, because I have connections with people 
in my local area and wondering, well, how can I get involved in that? So yes, my family gets quite annoyed when they see me trying to open up a billion different jars and then get angry that they're not being filled as I open them. I, I, and I look at them and go, I don't know what to tell you. I just want to get things done. And it makes me mad that I can't get things done and I cannot push it when it doesn't want to go. Now, is anyone else in your family in the arts as well? No. <laughs> now, um, now, I'm the only one in my family as well. How do they react to everything that's happening with you? They they don't really have comments about it. They, they always knew that I was going to aim for the arts no matter which way society and peers try to push. So they just kind of go with the flow and accept the updates I give them, even if they're frustration-based updates. They put up with me. So I want to have a little fun with you. I've got some uh, random questions all about the creative process. And uh, the first question is, it's going to be a random question. Uh, so you get to pull a mystery question, uh, either number one or number two. Okay. Uh, two. And the question is, uh, it says, well, this is a good one uh, because you're very much involved in social media. It says, refresh your social media feed to escape your echo chamber and increase your mix of viewpoints. Do you feel that you are in an echo chamber when it comes to your social media or how often do you step out of your echo chamber if you are within one? I don't have one because I think people find my social media to be quite unique, especially on TikTok, to where I post whatever I feel like that day. Um, it could be the most left field thing. If people are used to the wheelchair content, suddenly there's a dancing video. If people are used to... Which is fun, everybody. Go check it out. If people are used to seeing the dancing videos, then all of a sudden I'm doing a cooking tutorial, which I don't ever really do, or how to make a different cocktail that I learned how to make when I was visiting another area. So I don't have a chamber because I just post what I like. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, when you were uh, five years old, were you thinking about the world of the arts or did you have an idea of where you wanted to go with your life? Because my first introduction was, I think it was Swan Lake Ballet. And I fell in love instantly. And that's the same company who came to my family and offered the Nutcracker uh, that Christmas time period. So I was interested in the arts from that. And then also my mother and I bonded through 70s through 90s films. Mm. I had to stay home in the winters because growing up I had um, a low immune system and a poor, pretty poor immune system. So that's how we bonded, was watching like Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, uh, Play Misty for Me, Dirty Harry. We watched all of those. Wow. <laughs> the movies were another avenue that got me into the arts at a very young age. And then my father and I would read classic novels together. And that's how he taught me how to read with Heidi, um, The Secret Garden, The Little Princess, The Grim Fairy Tales. And then when I was a little bit older, Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> um, so I just had the arts all around me from all different areas. Frank Langella, great actor. Um, he writes in his autobiography about that moment in an actor's life where you're standing in the dark, waiting to go into the light. That first moment that you're standing on stage in front of an audience. Do you remember the first time that you were in front of an audience on stage? 
Yes, I was sitting in this authentic 1800s wheelchair for the Nutcracker Ballet. And I remember I was fiddling with the satin sash that was a makeshift seatbelt to hold me in because I was so small that they were worried I was going to just slip right out of it. And I remember sitting there thinking, my sisters told me I was going to be feeling butterflies in my chest as I was sitting in the wings. And I said, I don't feel that. Mm -hmm. Am I okay? Um, and I remember my mother telling me how she found it weird that I never once had stage fright, even to this day, I don't get it. And I said, I think it's because I was exposed to it so young before I even knew what stage fright was socially. So I think that was the moment I realized, well, this stage fright thing my sisters were telling me about and teasing me about, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> do you feel it on a set at all? I, or do you just feel, I mean, are you just in, uh, comfortable from the moment that you appear in front of a camera? I feel more social anxiety of like, oh, what are these people thinking of me? Um, how do I talk with them? How do I start conversation like in between takes or when they're rotating set? But once the camera's on, I go straight into work mode and I'm not me anymore. I am said character, which makes it so much easier. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, the other night I saw Richard Dreyfuss and he said, you know, that I think it was his television debut on Bewitched of all things. And he said he went up to the camera and he kissed the camera. And he said, you and I are gonna be lifelong friends. <laughs> and that point on, he was fine. Um, what would you say to your seven-year-old self uh, looking back about the life that you've created and manifested for yourself? And do you believe in manifestation? Yes, I do. I'm very spiritual. I am and too. Well, seven-year-old me, you should have saved more of your journals for stories. <laughs> Because, Start saving them now. Because I'd write them and write them and write them. And then I would just throw it and move on to the next one because my brain was going so fast that I just had to get it out on paper. You should have saved them. Oh, that's great. Um, what are you not doing right now because of fear, if anything? Uh, what am I doing right now because of fear? Not doing because of fear. Yeah. Probably moving out west because I need a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. I'm currently on a plan A and a half. <laughs> I need to have multiple backup plans before I ever make a confirmed decision. I consider that my Taurus rising energy for those who believe in astrology. Yes, I do. It's so. set plans before I take that leap. So, And is this something that you've discussed with your parents? I discussed it with my stepdad. I've discussed it with my mother because my adopted father, who was my main inspiration, he passed away um, 11 years ago this year. So I talk about that with them. My mother doesn't want me to go. So she's always discouraging of it. She doesn't want me to move away because pretty much none of her babies have moved too far. Um, so she really doesn't want me to move. Um, my stepdad is like me to where he tells me, do you have 80 backup plans yet? Because West Coast is unforgiving to people similar to me. So you need to make sure you have all bases covered twice. And that's my biggest fear is that I don't have every base covered three times. <laughs> I'm definitely putting you in touch with David Zimmerman. You two <laughs> need to know each other. Um, what experiences this week uh, uh, make you feel the way that you're feeling at this very moment and why? 
mean, right now, I just want an iced coffee, honestly. <laughs> Great. Um, and that I have some editing to do. But right now, it's really just wait. It's With being an actor, they always say, oh, the film life is so much fun. The set life is so much fun. And I have to tell, because I have friends who are aspiring actors who have not even been on a set yet. And I tell them, it's all about waiting to hear back right now. It's all about waiting to hear back from the auditions. Sometimes you're never going to hear back. Luckily, I have had very rare cases where I don't hear back. I've been very fortunate to run into casting directors who are so nice to let me know if I did or didn't get it so I don't waste my time anxiously pacing by the phone. So right now it's just waiting and trying to keep myself busy while waiting so I don't bug my poor agent every day if there's an update. That's great. And I'm going to have that iced coffee when I finish this as well. Um, how fully have you been using all parts of your mind lately? Oh, see, I neglect the mathematical side because I suck at math. And I think that broke my dad's heart <laughs> because he was very math oriented. That's the part I don't use often unless it's to pay my bills. Um, so that's the one aspect I don't use often. And I don't think I need to unless it's absolutely necessary. Well, I'm the same way. Uh, I, 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 math, I, I'm really bad at. Um, how do you uh, man, uh, manifest and create, since we're both spiritual, uh, a meaningful life for yourself? And how have you made today a more meaningful day? It's going to sound crazy. And if people watch this, they're going to say, oh, she's flown over the cuckoo's nest. No, people, uh, our audience will not say that. Trust me. <laughs> uh, but I really take my dreams seriously um, because not only do they give me great movie plots because I dream like I'm watching a film, which is like a beginning, a middle and end. But if I have a dream that involves me or it involves people I know, I know it's not one of those movie dreams because I'm never in a movie-based dream of mine. Um, and usually they've always come true in some form, maybe not from what I saw in the dream, but it's very similar. So that's how my body subconsciously manifests because I can't manifest consciously because my brain can't focus to meditate, let alone manifest. <laughs> so that's how I manifest. It's without me even knowing it. Wow, that's great. Um, finish this sentence. I'm the kind of person who, dot, 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 and then, uh, and think, who do you desire to become? So finish that sentence. I'm the kind of person who, dot, dot, dot. Wants to make my father proud. I'm sure that you've done that. Trust me. Um, Interesting question in the world that we live in. Do you ignore money or you stay acutely aware of it? I stay acutely aware um, because I know how important the dollar is, especially knowing at any moment in this career, I could lose medical benefits just by existing and wanting to work in a job I love. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very hyper aware of how much I have, what it could cover, what could be invested, what could not be invested. So also my stepfather is a great businessman. So I always go to him for advice and I'm so thankful that he's so open to discussing that with me in a very mature and on par basis. So yes, I'm very hyper aware. Make him your business manager if he's <laughs> the right one. 
Um, and please describe the week that you've had so far. What day is it? Tuesday. I mean, it's Tuesday. It's just Tuesday. Uh, please describe last week since it's just Tuesday. Oh boy. See, I can remember back to when I was three years old. <laughs> you sound like me. Oh, I had a really cool audition, but I can't talk about it because I signed an NDA. <laughs> oh, of course will, you come back? will you come back when you're able to talk about it? Absolutely. Great. Talk about it right now. That's okay. what I'm super excited for that. Now, you being a spiritual person, you're going to know how to answer this next question. Do you know who you are? I know the I know who I am in this lifetime, but I'm so curious to know how I got here from the past. That's like I think my life journey is I love genealogy, I love astrology, I love astronomy, I love all the E's. And so I love how they can all correlate religion, spirituality, um, astrology, which is spirituality. I love the idea of how they all can tie into some form of science and also I believe in reincarnation. So I want to know how I got here. I love studying history. I love studying the past. Mm -hmm. Even if that is a past, I'm never going to be able to see with my eyes. I'm so curious. Just a weird curiosity of mine. Wow. It's not weird. It's not weird. And tomorrow's the new moon. So tomorrow's yes. about new beginnings, everyone. Um, how fully are you experiencing your career? I mean, some people, you know, again, are thinking about tomorrow. Um, how fully are you really grounded in terms of experiencing it? Unfortunately, not nearly as much as I'd like. I'm still just stuck in the endless audition processes and getting the callbacks, getting the pinnings, getting all the really in, like so close calls and then ugh. So it's not where I want it to be yet, unfortunately, but I am not one to give up because when I get sad about it, um, the other part of my brain says, quit being sad, pick up the script, start memorizing. So it's like two people arguing in my head, which is fun. That's, that's incredible. And I've been in, you know, around a long time and that never goes away. <laughs> oh, great. Um, and what kind of impact um, are you hoping to have on the world when it comes to the work that you create? I want to show people like me that it's not as impossible as it might seem today. I know that people like me are struggling so hard to just get jobs and get a name. And I also want to see someone like me, even if it's not me, gain that like Merle Streep status. I want, I would love to live to see the day that that happens. I also would love to, see, to live to see the day that a paraplegic wins an Oscar. Because from what I've researched, it has not happened yet. Um, and I would love to see that. Well, I think it's going to be you. I'm going to manifest it. I'm going to see it happening. First. I have to tell you that when Lisa uh, Rodrigo uh, reached out to me and she said, you're going to fall in love with Lolita. And uh, she was right. So I want to thank you for being here today. Um, this hour flew for me. I hope you had a great time. I and I want to thank everyone else for being here. Don't go anywhere for a moment because I'm going to give you the final word today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it could be about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with today. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, as I do with every show, 
I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Please, 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 this is not lip service. I mean for each and every one of you to do this. Please pick up the phone and call someone you have not spoken to in a long time and let that person know the impact that they have made in your life. Do it before it's too late to do so. I was talking to a dear friend of mine last night and uh, she just lost a cousin. And she said, I wish that I had reached out or had seen my cousin last week. Please, please, please take the time to do so. Uh, A dear friend of mine says, we're all in this together. Uh, We're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, it doesn't matter what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm gonna leave the screen. I'm gonna turn it over to you, Lolita. You have the final word. And again, everyone, make it a better tomorrow. You can manifest it if you believe it. And it's all yours. Thank you. I just wanna thank everyone for joining and hearing me ramble. I apologize if I rambled a little too much but I was very grateful and am very grateful for this opportunity. And I hope to see you all and chat with you on any of my other socials. I try to be as active as possible, which I think I do a pretty good job at since I am pretty much addicted and glued to my phone. But thank you again for this opportunity. I hope to see you all at some point in the near future.